Sherwood, I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. We are uh, in a series called This Is Us. We're talking about relationships and maybe some counsel that God would be giving us about uh, how we do relationships. So uh, we're building kind of week by week. The first week we talked about kind of this is your role. Now what I mean by that is you want to be looking around in Scripture and coming up with a definition for some of your roles in life. So like when I became a husband, I knew nothing about being a husband. My, my idea was, you know, there's some places I want to be like my dad was, and there's some places I want to be the opposite of the way my dad was, and, you know, there's this idea from Scripture. But what I'd never done is I'd never gone from Genesis to Revelation and said, what does God say a husband is? And as I started to do that and put together a picture of what that is, now this can actually become operational. And if I think that God kind of designed some of these things, and I know what my responsibilities are, I think that not only is me as a great husband going to help out my wife and help out my kids, but it's also going to help me just know where I stand, because there's nothing worse than not knowing where you stand in some role. So that was one of the big things last week, and you can continue to think about that. What roles do you have in your life, and what does Scripture say about those roles so that you can make them kind of operational? This week, we're going to talk about building. Building into one another's lives. God building into us, kind of what that whole thing looks like. But what I want to do first is I want to pray. So we'll, we'll pray and then we'll look at some of these scriptures. But as I pray, I just want you to kind of open yourself up, open your mind, open your heart for God to teach you and to talk to you about maybe some transformation that needs to happen in your life. Let me pray. Father God, we're all in different places this morning and you know exactly the different places that we're in. Some people in this room have been on an extended vacation from you, God, and you're welcoming them home. Some people in this room, God, don't know you yet, and they're poking around looking. I pray, Father, you'd meet them in the middle of their questions and their intuition and their thoughts. And for all of us, Father, we ask that you would come through your word, through your spirit, and that you'd come into our minds and our hearts, and you'd show us yourself, and you'd show us your truth. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, so I'm going to give you an option, uh, kind, of, kind of vote one way or the other. When you think of me, if you've been here at any length of time, do you think of me as more an idiot? Or do you think of me more as incompetent? So those are your choices. <laughs> yeah, don't laugh too loud. I know where you sit. Uh, idiot or incompetent. Okay, now here's where things get a little bit more interesting. It, it really depends on what you're talking about, right? Because I can be an idiot about some things and really smart in other things. So if you know anything about me, my mechanical skills are, are, are zero to sub-zero, okay? I, I do know I, I, I'm not an idiot about poetry, so I know how to make a sonnet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, if you'll notice, you're being an idiot uh, or not being an idiot about something. That's going to then determine whether or not you're competent at some things. See, the, the knowledge that you have turns into reality. 
and makes things actually happen. Let me give you an example. So I, I worked at a construction site when I was in seminary. And uh, you, may, you may laugh because that's not a place that Dave should be. Um, but I would go to the construction site and, you, you, you know, the, the foreman and other people there, they look around and, you know, they think most of these people know how to use these things in general. And so, you know, here's a circular saw or here's a tamper or here's a, a jackhammer, you know, and go do this. Now, you end up with some interesting choices when you are an idiot and you are incompetent and you're asked to do something. Choice number one. Choice number one is, I'm sorry, I, I don't know how to operate that. I really want to learn how to operate that. Can you have somebody show me how to operate that and then give me some feedback so that I can get better? Okay, that's option number one. Option number two is, I'm going to figure it out and hopefully not die and probably get yelled at later, but if I work where nobody's looking... And you walk around the construction site in fear and anxiety and everything else. The question becomes, what sort of person are you? When I give those sort of options. When you're looking at life and you're going, hey, these are the things that I'm asked to do. I'm asked to be a husband. I'm asked to be a father. I'm asked to be a preacher. Am I, am I trying to gather information and, and get instruction and get feedback so that I can get great or is something else going on? I'm hiding because I'm ashamed and I'm afraid of what people are going to say. And the more I'm ashamed and afraid, then the only thing that is going to happen down the road is I'm going to disappoint myself. I'm going to disappoint others. I'm going to get yelled at. There's going to be painful things. But I'm insecure for a reason. If you'll notice, our culture has a tendency right now um, to scream at you how incompetent you are. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't dress right. You're rooting for the wrong team. You, you, you know, my truth versus your truth versus this media. There's 10,000 different categories hammering away. More than that, so if our culture is kind of hammering away at people, we're also isolating ourselves more and more. The American Psychological Association says the number one growing kind of epidemic problem in the United States is loneliness. And so we've got people that are constantly in their little screens and they're not talking to one another. They're not engaged in deep, intimate conversations with one another. And thus, they're, they're not getting the sort of feedback they need in those relationships in order to maximize that relationship's potential. I want you to see a slide. And this slide kind of relates to what's coming up in some other verses. There's this person with a halo. That's, that's you. On a good day, right? Okay. And they're looking out at all of these people that they're going to be intersecting with. And it, it shows this person looking out. And there's, there's some people out there that you intersect with. They, they obviously need teaching or they need some counsel or they, you need to be patient with them. Some people are, it's, it's got a list. It says they're idle or they're weak or they're sad or they're empty or they're broken or they're faint-hearted. And you can look at all of these people and it really boils down to what set of eyes do you have? What set of eyes do you have? Interestingly enough, in Scripture, you see Jesus doing things one way, and we see us doing things another way. When I have eyes to see people, oftentimes I, I, I see, is that, is that person cool? Okay, so if that person's cool, I want to go up and get next to them because then I'm, I'm cool by association, right? 
I don't have any coolness. They do. It's shimmering on me. But we can look around at people, and basically we're looking to, we're assessing what can we get from them. Are they a safe person, unsafe person, encouraging person? Not, what, what can we get from them? That's the consumer mentality. It's built, kind of built into our culture as well. That's what we're doing with people. We're assessing their values and putting them in categories. And what can we receive? And then there's Jesus' way. Jesus looks around, and what, what he's doing is he's thinking through opportunity, 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 opportunity to serve, to teach to show, to love, to be compassionate. And of course, you know, it's church, so you're used to hearing things like this. Here would be the trick, though. Again, psychological studies, when they ask people in sampling studies, what makes you happy? One of the things that happens over and over again, it's part of the, 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 the top three, is service to others. So everything in our society is saying, it's all about you. You need to go get your stuff and utilize other people to get your needs met. That's what you need to do is, is, is get. And then here's scripture saying, no, 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 give. That getting is not going to make you happy. Giving is going to actually make you happy and transform the world. Stick that kind of in the back of your mind as we talk about things this morning. It says in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there's this pattern. There are some letters written to some churches by John for Jesus, and he's writing letters to churches, and he's basically correcting those churches. So we've got some letters to each of these churches in these little subsections of chapters 2 and 3, and they have this thing in common. The thing that's in common is it says, I know, and then there's a bunch of positives. I know you're really good at this, and you're really good at this, and you're really good at this, and then it transitions to but this is your challenge. This I have against you. This is something you need to work on. Now, the reason why I want to mention this pattern is I want you to think about, that's all fine and good, but that's a pattern in Scripture. But think about us these days. We do not respond well to this. Let me give you an example. If my wife randomly comes up to me and says, Honey, I... I you are so good at taking out the trash, and you are so good at it. A two or three in, I know something bad is coming. <laughs> that didn't ran, that, that list isn't random. That, that list is a setup for the shoe to fall, and I'm going to hear something that I'm incompetent at or that I'm an idiot about or that I need to fix. And here's the sad part. I utterly dismiss those things that she had said. The only thing I remember is the other part. Why? Because in our society, there's a real shortfall of edification. Let me explain that. When my wife, is, and she's not here today, so I can say whatever I want, um, but when my wife, when my wife or I start to frame something like this, you know what, you are really good at this, and you're really good at this, and you're really good at this, but the reason that we're framing it like that is we know we don't have enough invested edification, encouragement. We don't have enough invested in that person to say the hard thing all by itself. We instinctively know that we're way behind. And so we shovel some positivity in there so that we can say the hard thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a hard thing. 
Now, the people back then in the Bible, they didn't necessarily have this problem. We've got a culture right now that in one sense is more interconnected than anybody has ever been. The problem is we're interconnected with trivia. We're not talking about deep things. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your mind? What are you angry about? Where are you broken? How are you afraid? I see this beautiful thing in you. I see this character quality in you. We're not having conversations that have meat to them. And so sometimes the most intimate conversations that people have are when they're screaming at each other. Ah, you always, you never. And then they actually deliver a piece of information about something that you, you actually needed. But, but at that point in time, you're just in rumble mode. What if it was very, very different? In Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it says this. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. So let me take a couple of components. This despise and weary part. The two words that maybe could describe those better are don't dread or have contempt for correction. When do we dread having correction? We dread having correction when we don't know, is that other person just mad at us? Are we just failing? We don't know where we stand with that person. We can receive correction from somebody that we, we know where we stand with them, but if we don't know where we stand with them, we're, we're full of dread. The other reaction we have sometimes when we get feedback is contempt. You have no right to tell me anything about anything because I know blah, blah, blah about you. And so there's some people that when they deal with God, they're like, well, you know, God, you can't tell me anything. You're just an old-fashioned fuddy-duddy God from the Old Testament. I don't like lots of stuff that you did, blah, 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 blah. With me so far? So it says don't dread and don't just bring contempt to the table. Why? Then it explains why. Because God reproves, corrects, holds accountable, instructs, reproves them, those whom he loves. And then it goes on to describe that love very specifically. As a father, the son in whom he delights. What does that mean? It means that God is looking at us like he would a son that he absolutely is overwhelmingly delighted worth. In fact, the word has all these massive amounts of meaning so that when it's put into play, people understand it means accepted and it means delighted and it means bring pleasure and it means complete satisfaction and it means it's just this word that has this whole great big thing and that that's what God's doing when he disciplines you. When he's trying to straighten you out, reproof you. Now, we're not used to that. We're used to... I'm about to be disciplined, I'm about to be reproved, I'm about to be you know, yelled at about something, and so obviously I've failed. I, I, I'm the son that disappoints. No, 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 this is a son who delights. Now, now the question becomes, how do you delight God? Do you delight God because of who he is or because of who you are? Let me give you an example. I have a um, a short terrorist that lives in my house. About this, this tall. 
All they do is take my stuff, break my stuff, manipulate me, lie about me, throw me under the bus. It's probably the most dysfunctional codependent relationship I'll ever be. And it's my grandson. Um, if he were an adult, he'd be like, no, no, no. But because he's little, because he's cute, because I delight in him and accept him unconditionally for who he is, it's not that I don't correct him or reprove him, I do. But I, I delight in him and he knows I delight in him. He can feel it all the time, 24-7. Now, here's a tricky question for you. When people become adults, we don't kind of do that delight thing the same as when they were little, right? But God throughout the Old Testament is constantly calling us children. What if he doesn't outgrow that phase of looking at you like you're a four-year-old? What if he's just constantly going, hey, trouble, hey, disaster, we need to talk. I love you so much, I delight you so much. You're in Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is given to you. Grace, long-suffering, compassion. Yes, you are. How did you even find that skunk and the dog poop? But I'm going (laughs) to... Now, is this what goes on in your mind when you think about God coming into your life and instructing you and teaching you and calling you out on stuff? Because if it is the way you think, then you're going to run towards it all the time. And if you're afraid that you failed him and you're going to be exposed to being incompetent and to be an idiot and to be a disappointment, you're going to run from him. And the more we run, God's companionship as well as his wisdom and everything else vacates our lives. The more we run towards him, the more it manifests. In Proverbs 12, 11, I don't have it up here, but I have, I have it kind of on the slide. It says that people that despise instruction become stupid. It's not an in-your-face. It's a, do you want to end up dumb? I've got a picture here for you. It's from uh, one of those Superman movies. There's a young Clark Kent. His dad, his earthly dad, Jonathan Kent. His other name is Kal-El. His other name is Superman. His other dad from another planet is named Jor-El. In all the Superman movies, there's all this content about these conversations these fathers have with this son. And the conversations are all about, this is your potential, and this is how you need to grow in character, and this is your responsibility, and I believe there's great things coming. And you always get the feeling when you see these scenes in these movies that there's this father that's delighting in their son and they know that their son can do incredible things in the world. And as long as that son feels that, understands that, and knows that, then they're transformed and they become more and more of what they're supposed to be. It says this in Psalm 32.8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with an eye upon you. The words here mean some very specific things. It says, instruct and teach you in the way that you will go. It means like an archery instructor. Teaching you how to correctly do things so that you will land, so that the arrow will land. It's a play on words 
where it's supposed to land. We already talked about what's your role. You've got to have a target for what your role is. And then you can learn how to land your role so that it has the impact it's supposed to have. And I will counsel you with my eye on you. It's this coach, teacher, instructor who's not walking away, not just like an information dump, but who's there all the time wanting to coach you through. I, I don't know about you, I, I joined Rifle Club. That was a thing back in my high school. And when you joined Rifle Club, I, th- I thought it was a good shot. Like everybody's like, you got a dead eye, blah, 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 blah. But I, nobody had ever coached me about shooting. So there I am, I, 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 I'm down on the ground and I'm, I'm shooting. And I got a nice cluster, it's okay. And um, we're starting to get instruction. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're moderately competent at something, you don't want to get instruction. You're like, (laughs) (coughs) you telling me, that's funny, I should be telling you. Um, So this (laughs) former Marine, um, they should have been listening to me. Anyways, he he said, I need you to, he came over, he kicked kicked my legs, I need you to spread your legs. Your elbow, I need you to put it out farther, you're not balancing the weapon correctly. This is how you breathe, I need you to breathe in, I need you to let half out, I need you to think small, hit small, I need you to squeeze the trigger, not not just yank it. And as he's telling me all these things, part of me is like, and part of me is like, okay, I'll give it a shot, and my groupings and my targets close in. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you, you know what you're doing. You're wise. And then the question becomes something like this. Is that the way I'm doing things with God? Am I saying, God, you're the archery instructor. You're the rifle instructor. I want you to hone me in on being a husband. I want you to hone me in at being a father. I want you to hone me in and get, get me into the target the way you want me to. And that's not a vague thing. You know, we could, we could do the vague thing when we go, God, help me to be a good husband. And that's about it. So I'll give you an example. I have four wonderful sheets of paper up here. One is from my wife. Two are from my daughters. One is from my grandson. And this is what I did, because I'm stupid. I told them to list three things that I'm good at in my role with them as a husband or grandfather or as a father. Three things. List three things that I'm good at that are having impact, creating life in you, because I want to make sure that I'm focused on those and doing those things consistently. And then one thing that you request that I do better or differently. What's one place where I'm, I'm not cutting it? Where's my blind spot? Where do I need instruction? I need feedback from you. And then the last thing is my grade to be completed February 1st, 2020. Make it real. Three things I'm doing good at. One thing you need to work on. And in 90 days, you will get a grade, David. Now again, what do I do with that grade? Am I afraid of that grade or am I excited about that grade? Is that opportunity or is that, oh no, I'm going to fail? Is that something to hide and run away from or is that something to embrace? Do I want it to be 2026? And find out that I missed it. No. I don't. That's why I engage this way. And what would it mean in our relationships. If we're building one another up. And we're teaching one another. And we're engaged in intimate conversations. We're saying substantial things. And we're giving feedback. 
Psalm 25, 4 says this. This is David speaking to God, and he says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. His response to this God that has all this information that is transformative is he's like, gimme, 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 I want, I want, I want. He's not running from God. He's not hiding. It's not Adam and Eve, you know, hiding behind the fig leaves. It's the opposite engagement. I, I dare to be as great God as you designed me to be, but I need you to pull it off. There's no way I'll pull it off on my own. But it's more than that. I also need my tribe. I need my brothers and sisters. I need everybody. Make me to know your ways. What does this word know mean? It means to be acquainted with. And in Scripture, God says several times, my ways are not your ways. So just like going with your gut about what you think is the Christian way to be a husband or a father or anything else, that's not the way we do it. I want to know his ways. I already know my ways. I already know the world's ways. I need to know his ways. And then there's a slight variation Teach me your paths. And the word there is not just a road and a pathway. It's a pathway that's been taken over and over and over and over again. And the hint is basically that you're looking at Scripture and you're looking at all the ways that God taught Abraham or Jeremiah or Joseph because you want to walk down those similar pathways and do things the way they did things. Show me, God. Show me these things. And then here's the transition. Here's where I want to flip the switch. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, there's a couple of, again, specific words there that I want you to notice. Encourage one another. It comes from the same word that we kind of get the Holy Spirit from. It's this charismato kind of word, and it means to come alongside of somebody. And then build, it means build, but you know, what do you mean? Like build a house or build a, a skill set? No, no, no. This word is build character. And so what he's saying to this church is he's saying, what we should be doing is we come alongside one another, like an arm around a shoulder. And we build character into one another through the investment of words. And and again, it says some things. It says one another, that it's mutual, that it's not one way, that we're always kind of mutually doing these sort of things to one another. And in fact, it says just as you are doing, and the word there for doing basically is that you're in the midst of manufacturing something, you're a catalyst for something, you're a causality of something. And that's the big question, isn't it? Is that what's going on? Is my life being directed by God in such a way that I'm receiving wisdom and information? I know my role. I'm entering into that. I'm I'm shooting closer and closer to the target. But then more than that, am I then being utilized by God to come alongside other people in a transformational way in their lives as well? Can't do that through Minecraft. Can't do that through binge-watching Netflix. It means taking a risk. It means saying something deeper and more substantial to one another and opening yourself up. This opening yourself up comes up a little bit more, just a couple of verses farther in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all of them. So there's this lazy, cowardly, weak person 
And it's my responsibility to assist them to not be that way anymore. I want you to think about the profoundness of that. It means that when we look around and we start to scan the flaws we see in others, the only thing that God is saying is, I want you to help. All you can do with those things is pray and come alongside and build into. That's very different. Because I, I just want to be a spectator sport, right? I just want to, I want to look out at the world and go, yeah, I dismiss you and you're stupid and you're done. I'm, do you have any idea how many football coaches need my advice? <laughs> a lot. And they're not calling me. No, no, no. So let's look at these. Admonish the idol. Admonish means to basically warn Okay, to, to tell somebody the consequences of what's coming. And then idle here means kind of specifically a messy, not self-disciplined, out-of-order person. Now, this is going to matter when we get to the end of this. But you see this person whose finances are completely out of control. They're constantly talking about, oh, my finances, I, you know, I bounced a check. Or you see somebody who says, my kids are constantly out of control. That, they're having con- or me and my spouse are fighting. And what it means is that you're... Coming alongside, the encouragement thing, you're warning and you're entering into that challenge as if it were your mission. Not just to look at their failure, but this is your mission. Uh, More than that, encourage the faint-hearted. This literally means to, again, kind of encourage, to to build into, but then faint-hearted literally means a little soul. So the idea, basically, is there's this person who's probably just been a Christian for a not super long period of time, and their soul's just not big. What do you mean by big soul? They don't know their meaning. They don't know their identity. They don't know their purpose. They don't know their role. They don't know anything about this. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to come alongside this person who's small-souled and start to invest in all of this and then help the weak. Well, it means, again, something specific. It means help, but it means help in a way where you grab a hold of something else that somebody else has grabbed a hold of. What does that mean? Well, if you've had kids, you know what this is like. So you send a kid into the kitchen. You say, I need you to go, I need you to go clean the dishes. And you call out after a couple minutes, you got those dishes done yet? And you don't get any response. So you get up and you walk into the kitchen and you see that the mound of dishes is like a giant Jenga up into the ceiling. And your child turns around, and you're going to yell at them, but they turn around and they have a little tear because they're overwhelmed. They're too weak to be able to do this by themselves yet. So I could double down at yelling at them, or I could put a hand to what they've got a hand to and help them until they're stronger. And you think about all the people that in Christianity that we go, oh, you're weak, you're not, you're not cutting it, you're not strong in this area yet. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm, I'm supposed to either, either condemn you or mock you. No, you're supposed to put a hand to helping them get stronger. Because here at the end is the trick. So you're admonishing the idol and you're encouraging this faint-hearted and you're helping this weak and be patient with all of them. And this patience word has these components, tenacity, long-suffering, perseverance, it extends for a long period of time in the same 
place. What does that mean? It means that our one another, we're invested in one another in terms of this helping and encouragement and admonishment and teaching and all over a long stretch of times. We don't just drop some truth bomb and then hit the road thinking they, it's their job to figure it out. No, no, no. We get in there with them for the long haul. And then in Romans 15 too, it says this. Let us each please our neighbor for his good and to build him up. Well, what does this mean? It means that we're looking at our neighbors. Wait a minute, what does neighbor mean? Does it mean the house next door? No, no, no. Literally, it means anybody in proximity. We get messed up because we just think of neighbor. You go all the way back. What it literally means is anybody kind of within striking distance, in proximity. So you're talking about your coworkers, people at school, all kinds of people, anybody in proximity. And what are you doing? You're looking to please them, to bring pleasure to them, some sort of an experience to them that makes their lives better for their good, so that it's a positive effect on them, and to build them up. Well, build them up towards what? A lot of things. One might just be to to build them up in in terms of their character. It might be to build them up on on the road to potentially becoming a Christian someday. But here's the point. The point is that Jesus is saying, I want you to look around at anybody that you're in proximity to, and what are your eyes? Are your eyes consumer eyes to receive, or are they servant eyes to give? How are you framing things? We can say all we want. I'll say the C word. Christmas. And you know, it's better to give than receive. But do you believe that? Is that activated? Is that real in us? So go to the next slide, please. So we look out at all these people, and this is a new way of looking at things. We look out at all these people and we go, wow, opportunity. Opportunity to edify, opportunity to encourage, opportunity to come alongside, opportunity to warn, opportunity to teach, opportunity to grow their soul bigger. That's what my life is. My life is a million little micro-missions every day that I can engage in. I can bring life to other people. I can bring hope to other people. I can transform other people if I'm open to approaching life that way. God, transform and teach me, and then let me step into other people's lives to transform them. So here would be some final thoughts. One is, ask God to teach you, not in a vague sort of way. God, I want to be a better husband. No, no. Define your role. Look up at scriptures. Ask God to teach you. Secondly, ask others to teach you. Boss, what can I do better? Teacher, how can I be a better student? Mom, dad, how can I be a better kid? Husband, wife, ask. Ask how you can do a better job. Three, be intentional about encouragement. Don't wait for encouragement until you've got to say something hard. Stockpile. How many people in this room need more criticism? (laughs) Maybe a couple. How many people in this room need more encouragement? Yeah. Encourage. Fourth, their failures are your opportunities. It's a totally different way of looking at life. Other people and their screw-ups are your opportunities to pray, to encourage, to straighten, to do all sorts of things. And then finally, risk receiving first. You want to go to the next level of intimacy? You want to go to the next level of relationship? You want to see some of these things come to life? Take the initiative yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to mature. Be the mature person. Be the change you want to see in the church, in the world. Let me pray. 
Father God, we thank you that you discipline us and that you discipline us right in the midst of your delight in us. We thank you, Father, that you want to use us to be like your Holy Spirit and to come alongside one another and bring out greatness in one another. But would you help us, Father? We have a tendency to scan and look at people with the eyes of a consumer instead of the eyes of a servant. Would you change us, Father, that we might see people the way you see people and see the opportunity to love them well. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.